standing. <laughs> no, let me do this. Once I stood in the night with my head bowed low in the darkness as black as could be. And my heart felt alone, and I cried, Oh, Lord, don't hide your face from me. Hold my hand all the way, every hour, every day, from here to the great unknown. Take my hand, let me stand where no one stands alone. Like a king. I may live in a palace so tall with great riches to call my own. But I don't know a thing in this whole wide world that's worse than me. Hold my hand all the way, every hour, every day, from here to the great unknown. Take my hand, let me stand where Vance, we are thankful to have you as well, including uh, with these two lovely young ladies. If you have your Bible, open it up to Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1, and uh, we're going to be looking at uh, this scripture this morning, continue on with this theme, don't give up. This morning it's don't give up, God is still working on you, amen? amen. God is still working on you. You know, if I got onto social media and posted that on my social media page, I'd probably get 100 likes, right? Everybody would be like, oh yeah, God is still working on us. We like that. We might give it a few comments, a few amens, or that's, that's right, preacher, something like that. We like the idea, and it's comforting to know that God is working on us. Because I believe the majority of us sense that incompleteness, if that's a word, an incompleteness in us. Sometimes it shows up when life seems to be a mess. And we're like, wow, I just don't even know how to deal with this. Uh, sometimes, um, well, anybody ever felt like that? Life was just a mess and you just didn't know how to deal with it? Amen. I want to tell you, don't give up. God is still working on you. It's an important reminder against discouraging times in our life. 
those times that we're tempted to think, I'll never get life right, and I cannot do anything right. I know a few folks have struggled with those thoughts. I can't get it right, and I'll never get it right. In fact, it's this line of thinking that I often consider the life of Peter, the Apostle Peter, one of the chosen followers of Jesus, one of the inner sanctum followers of Jesus, if you will. He's a great teacher of the church, an apostle for the gospel, but we cannot forget that it was Peter who denied Christ three times. I wonder if there was a time in his life when he thought, I just can't get this right. And that gets me excited to think about, you know what, God was still working on Peter. He was still working on the Apostle Peter, and that means he's still working on us, too. And that's not just in troubled times, but in my mess-ups, my mistakes, my moments of sin. Uh, Even in those moments when I perhaps even deny the Son of the living God, He is growing me and He is working on me through that. And He's doing it to you as well. God is still working on us, is also an important encourager against apathy and laziness that causes us to relax and think well there's nothing left for me to learn I've already reached the spiritual plateau I'm supposed to reach sometimes in my conversations with people the comment is often made I don't know why God is leaving me here why doesn't he just call me on home I want to tell you in fact let's just break a moment everybody do me a favor inhale exhale You just breathed. That's a miracle. You just took a breath on your own accord. And if you just took a breath on your own accord, that means God has put air in your lungs and he has a purpose for you. And I believe as long as we are taking up space on this planet, whether we know it or not, and I believe people who have lost their ability to remember, I mean, my grandmother in the last weeks of her life, she couldn't tell you who she was but she was still glorifying the name of Jesus Christ. If you're still taking up space on this earth, you have a purpose. God is still working on you. And it's with that, mind, that, that thought in mind, I want us to read our scripture, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. This is what the Apostle Paul, the writer of this book, says. He says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now I want to read this in context. So let's look back at our scripture, and now let's read verses 1 through 11. He says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, You all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Verse 9, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without without offense, 
till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pause a moment, please, right here for prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its impact on our life. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of us this morning through your word and through the presence of your Holy Spirit in this place. Lord, I, I, t- I just I pause at this time because uh, we just want to cry out for the, for the very fact that nothing can be done apart from you. My preaching is not going to do a world of good if you are not working on us this morning. Father, if your presence is not made very real to each and every one of us, Lord, if we are not willing to just kind of open up our hearts and say, Lord, speak to me, open up our minds and say, Lord, uh, transform me this morning. It's in that we, Lord, we pray, amen. I feel like this is such an impactful verse. It's it's, uh, it's, it's a very great verse. It's an encouraging verse. I'm trying to get away from saying it's one of my favorite verses because I say that a lot about a lot of different things, and, and some of y'all are starting to notice that. But the basic promise is this. There is a powerful working going on inside of us. Now, the book of Philippians is perhaps it's one of the most encouraging books. You've probably got a favorite verse in the Bible from this scripture. Most of you probably know Philippians 4.13. Uh, It was written by the Apostle Paul, and at the beginning he says Paul and Timothy, because at this point, Timothy was probably transcribing this book. When he wrote it, he was in chains. You uh, caught that as we read through this scripture. He was chained to guards under house arrest, imprisoned for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and being a troublemaker because he was witnessing to the lost. It helps to know this, I believe, so that we put things in perspective, because for him, The good work that God was doing in him or that God wanted to do in him was not releasing him from prison. The good work was going on inside of him, and we're going to talk more about that. He was also seeing that the good work of God in his life was also going on in the lives of other people, whatever that good work may be. As we look at this verse singularly and within its context, there are five truths I want to point out to you this morning. And these five truths are going to answer those basic investigative questions. The uh, who, what, where, and why. Who, what, where, and why. Well, the very first question, who, is very obviously easy to answer. The who is God. Paul says, he who began a good work in you. And that word he is referring to God. And that's such an important, amazing thing. It is God who is working on you. God who is working on us. The same God who created the entire universe. The same God who spoke uh, dogs and donkeys and lions and trees and the oceans into existence. The great stars that you see from a billion miles away. He spoke all of those things into existence. The same God who formed us out of dirt and then breathed life into us. It is He who is working on you. I can't get over that fact. I don't know about you, but when I think about that just for a moment, it's not some sub- angel working on me. God hasn't sent a subcontractor to do his work on me. God himself is doing this work on me. He is the one giving Paul confidence, in fact. The very beginning of this verse says, being confident of this very thing. He's not confident of the people of Philippi. He's not confident of his ability to teach and grow people. He is confident of this and this alone. God is doing the work, and because it is God, I have confidence 
that the good work he began is the good work he will complete in you. I don't know about you, but I sometimes start a job, and maybe three years later, I'll think about finishing it. Right? I've got a rototiller that I've torn apart, and I've been trying to get to working, and, uh, and I, I tell you what, for three years it's just been sitting there, and I haven't gotten that taken care of. I have a tendency to not finish jobs, but this is God, and God finishes jobs, his jobs, his jobs in us. And if you look at that scripture, the, the language really is beautiful. It says that he who began a good work, meaning he is the initiator of the work, will carry it on. He is the one that continues, that propagates this good work until the day of Christ Jesus. He is the one that will complete this work. God is working on us. Who? The second truth is this, the what. What is this good work? What is it that God is doing in us exactly? Well, primarily, we're going to talk about salvation. There's a lot of good works that God does in us, but we want to start with the work of salvation and, and go from there. Sometimes you've heard me say that our salvation is a process. It's a past, present, and future sort of thing. You've heard me say it like this, that we have been saved, we are being saved, and we are going to be saved. Now, I'm not saying that your salvation is incomplete. That's not what I'm, I mean at all. But what I mean is that there is a process to our salvation that we just kind of sum up with the, the singular word salvation. And I want to give you three words that are not part of our normal vocabulary this morning that have to do with the process of salvation. The first word is this. You've heard me say it before. Justification. Say that with me. Justification. The moment you confess Jesus as Savior and Lord, He comes and He takes away all of your sins. He washes you away from sin and He justifies you. Meaning, He makes it as if you've never sinned. He doesn't just cover over your sins. He completely wipes it away. And the way I like to think about this word, and my kids know this because they've heard me say it for years, justified. Just if I'd never sinned. It should be up there. Yeah, just if I'd never sinned. That's the first part of our salvation. That happens the moment, the moment we place faith in the grace of Jesus Christ who died upon that cross for our sins. The second word is this, sanctification. You've heard me use that word before. Sanctification. It's not a part of our normal vocabulary, but what that word means is that we are being set apart. It is the work of God through the Holy Spirit working inside of us, making us more like God. You see, when he justified us, he said, well, I've cleansed you from your sin, but I don't want to leave you like you are, Brian, and so I'm going to begin setting you apart, making you different from the world and making you more like me. That's the process of sanctification. The third word is this, glorification. Say that with me, glorification. And what this word means is that right now we only have a part of the wonderful gift of salvation. But there is coming a day when we will realize in full our salvation, the promise of our salvation. What does that mean exactly? What does it mean that we don't have in full the promise of our salvation? Well, even though we have been justified and we are being sanctified, we are burdened still with a sin nature. I don't know about you, but I sin every single day. That's because I am burdened with this sin nature. There is coming a day, though, that that sin nature will be completely removed. That's glorification. 
even though I am being sanctified and given knowledge of the truths of God and answers of how to live life on earth, there still seems to be a veil, for lack of a better word, uh, between me and this perfect knowledge. I seem to only know things in part. I don't know about you, but there's questions about God, how He works, why He does what He does that I don't have the answers to. Anybody else feeling that with me? Yes. Amen. We don't have all the answers. There's coming a day when I will know in full what I only know in part right now. There's coming a day when that veil will essentially be removed. That's glorification. Finally, even though the very power of God lives inside me, once I've been justified, there is still a measure of division between myself and God. There's still, I don't quite completely have all of him going on, right? I mean, he says, no man can see my face and live. He said that to Moses. So there is a, there's a, 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 par, a partial separation, if you will. Not that we're separated spiritually from him, but we are separated physically from him. But there is coming a day when I will see him face to face, right? Isn't that the, there's coming a day when my Jesus, anyway, I don't know how the song goes, but it's something of that nature, and I will see him, and there will be no division whatsoever, glorification. I cannot stress enough how important it is that we grasp this truth that God is still working on you. He is still working on me. We don't need to give up. Because even though there are troubles and trials in this life, God is still molding us and making us in what he needs us to be. There's coming a day when he'll be done. But that day isn't on this planet Earth. It is when we will realize our salvation in full. And it will be a better tomorrow than it is today. And that's what he's doing us. He's making us better each and every day. We used to sing this song when I was a youth, little by little, every day. Little by little, in every way, Jesus is changing me. It's a great song. If you don't know it, look it up on, I'm sure it's on the Facebook or the, the World Wide Web or something like that. Third question, the third truth I mean that this answers is where. W-H-E-R-E, where. Where is this work going on? I really struggle this week on what to title this. Don't give up, God is working on you. Don't give up, God is working in you. Because see, both these truths are true. <laughs> uh, but I really wanted to emphasize that God is working on us. You see, not only does it blow my mind that it is God who is working on me, but this truth of where he is working blows my mind as well. But looking back at our scripture, it says that he who began a good work, where? In you. Thank you, Josiah. In you. He who began a good work in you. God is not working outside of us. He is not working near us. He is not working in our general vicinity. God is working in you. He is working on you, in you. When you surrender your life to Christ as Savior and Lord, and we become justified, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. The Bible teaches us that He is our deposit for eternal life. Our earnest payment, if you will, of what we will receive someday when we are fully glorified. He is our guarantee of what is to come. This is why we talk about being the temple of God. That's not some sort of spiritual mumbo-jumbo, okay? The temple is where God resides. And the 
God becomes my Savior, when Jesus becomes my Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, who is God, comes to live in us. It is God doing this work on us, in us. And part of that work that Christ accomplished was sending that Holy Spirit to us, to be that comforter, to be that encourager, but also to be that teacher. God takes up residence, not in an earthly building, but in an earthly body. God is in us. And from there, he begins to work on us, in us. Think about it like this. Every so often, my computer has to have an upgrade or an update. Anybody ever have that happen? You go to use your computer, and there's a little message that says, Microsoft has updates ready. This may take a few moments, and your computer is useless, basically, for the, for the rest of the day. And what is happening is that over the internet, my computer is downloading from Microsoft headquarters the software update that it needs. All the way from Seattle, Washington, this software is coming over this, this highway, this imaginary, no, it's not imaginary, but this very real but unseeable highway. And it's coming and it's pouring into my computer. And then when it's completely downloaded, it then updates my computer and then it reboots. And that's, that's what's interesting. All right, so they can prepare the update there in Seattle, Washington, and then they send it to my computer. So it's not happening in my computer. My computer is not forming its own update. Okay, it's not working on the inside. If I opened my computer, Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft, would not be in my computer doing updates for me. That's not how it works. But God, who is the manufacturer of both the hardware and the software, is inside of me, updating me every moment of every day. I don't have to connect to him through some sort of spiritual Wi-Fi. It doesn't download from heaven and then I get updated. But God is working on me, in me. Hallelujah. Praise God, the very power of God is in you, working on you. I don't know about how more encouraging you need, uh, and more encouragement you need, that God is for you. Don't give up. Sometimes I need a reboot, though, right? Sometimes I just need the boot. But remember, God is in you, working on you. The fourth truth answers the question of when. It has to do with timing. The verse says that God began the good work, he carries on the work, and he will complete the work until Christ Jesus, essentially is what he says, complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now in Paul's day, they were looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ. We should look the same way, to the return of Jesus Christ. God is going to carry that work until the coming of Jesus Christ or until the day we come to Jesus Christ. This is all about timing. When? Listen, I can't answer that question except to say this one three-letter or three-word phrase that I've had in my life as long as I can remember when I've talked about God's timing. In His time. That's it. I I don't know. You know, I've known people that that were addicted to drugs and alcohol. They got saved, and it was an immediate deliverance. God worked that in them right then and there. But I've known other people who have been saved 20-plus years, and they're still addicted to the same thing. And they're struggling with it, and they're struggling with it. You may say, well, well, is the power of God really in them if they're not being delivered from them? I think it is because they know what they're doing is wrong, 
and they really want to stop. They're struggling with it, right? I can't answer the question of when except to say in his time and to say this, God is never late, God is never early, God is always on time. And God is working on you, in you, in his timing for you. And what happens is we end up looking longingly at how God is working through or on other people, and we start wanting that, right? I got a great friend that I went to college with. Man, he is going all over the place. He's preaching. People are getting saved. And it would be real tempting to be jealous of that guy. But instead, I want to just pray for him, and I want to rejoice in how God is working on him, in him, and through him. We need to do the same thing. God doesn't use us all the same way. Not everybody that God used in these times was the Apostle Paul, right? Not everybody was like Moses, but that doesn't mean they weren't being used by God in some way. The fifth truth answers the question of why. Why is God doing this work in our life? And I would simply say it's for the sake of good, for the sake of good as God defines it. There is nothing good outside of God. And so outside of God, we can do nothing good. In John 15, Jesus said this, If anyone abides in me, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, most of us would say, I don't want to do nothing. We might joke around about wanting to sit on the couch and watch TV and eat potato chips all day. But for the most part, I think most of us would want to get out and do something. We want to do something with our lives. We want our lives to matter. I would say the majority of us. And just that desire, that burning fire that is in us is a proof that it has been lit by the Holy Spirit, the consuming fire of God, causing us to want to go and do something for the sake of Jesus. But apart from Him, we can do nothing. The goodest, that's not good English, but the goodest work that can ultimately happen is this, to glorify God. God begins this work in us because He loves us, but even that has the purpose of bringing glory to God. This is not a unique thought. If you look over at chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His, what? Good pleasure. What God is doing in us, on us, ultimately is for His good pleasure, meaning He does it to please Himself. He does it for His purposes meaning he does it to bring glory to his name. Why does God love the unlovable? Ultimately, because it glorifies his name. Why does God save the unsavable? Ultimately, because it brings glory glory to his name. Why does he justify me and make it as if I'd never had sin? Ultimately, because it brings glory to his name. God does this because it brings glory to his name. I don't know about you, but I want good to come from my life. And the ultimate good, the goodest good I can do is to bring glory to His name. I know I want that. But what keeps us from doing this? What keeps this good work from doing in our lives? What keeps this from being done in our life? And I want to talk more next week about our personal responsibility when it comes to God growing us, when it comes to doing Uh, this work in us, because there is a personal responsibility. It's not all on God, uh, though it is God that initiates, God that does it, God that completes it, but there is a part for us. And I want to just talk real briefly about what keeps this good work
from being completed. And I want to look back at our scriptures that were around this verse 6. The first verse in this chapter, look back at that. It says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to who? To all the saints. To all the saints, together with the bishops or the overseers and the deacons, but to all the saints. We've talked about this word. A, a saint is not someone who acts right. A saint is someone who is made right by the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus becomes your Lord and Savior, he makes you a saint. It has nothing to do with you being good or being bad. Some people say, well, I'm not a saint. And I want to say, so you've not been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Because that's what it means to be, uh, to be a saint. So if you have been saved, whether you like to use that title or not, you are a saint. And so the first thing we need to realize is who Paul is talking to. These are redeemed, born-again believers in Jesus Christ. The thing that keeps God from being able to complete the good work in us is that we're not saved, that we are not born again, that we are not believers in Jesus Christ. And that is the overbearing or the overlying and very important message of this, of this sermon this morning. Are you born again? Has there been a time when you surrendered to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? If Jesus is your Savior, God is working on you, in you, and Jesus is not your Savior. God is not working on you. He is not working in you. He may be working around you, trying to convince you, calling you, giving you the effectual calling to come to Jesus Christ and surrender to Him as Lord and Savior. And let me just make that bold and broad claim this morning. If that's you... Don't wait. Let this be the morning that you surrender your life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You may be saying, well, how do I know? You know, I've said some prayers. I've done some things. Let me ask you, uh, is there a change going on in your life? Are there spiritual updates happening from within you? Does it seem that God is speaking to you from within you? Or has there simply ever been a time that you actually surrendered and placed your trust and your faith in Jesus Christ. Number two, what keeps this good work from happening in us is discouragement from sin. Look at uh, verse two. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This prayer for grace and peace, Paul would be sending it to them for two reasons, it, it, or, or for, for discouragement from two things. What would be, the, be discouraging these believers? One would be persecution. They were facing mighty persecution because they were living boldly for Jesus Christ. They were talking boldly about Jesus Christ, and they were first facing persecution. The other thing that would discourage them is sin, because they're sinners. Even though they're born again, just like us, they were sinning every day. And persecution and sin can cause a lot of spiritual uh, 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 discouragement. And I want us to really look at the sin aspect for a second. Here's the deal. I don't know if you know this. You are going to sin. We're going to sin. It's, it's, I wish, and I'm not laughing at that. Please, please don't take it that way. I'm not laughing at that fact that we are going to sin. But we need to come to grips, to come to terms with this. It's, it's going to happen. We are going to sin. But our sins are not the end of God loving us or working in us. They are a part, instead, they are a part of our continued formation. If we will hold on to God and allow His costly grace to do its work and not become discouraged. I want you to consider again that story about Peter that I, I started off with at the very beginning. Remember the Apostle Peter denied Christ three times. 
Jesus told him he was going to sin, and then he went and committed that sin. Was this the end of God using the Apostle Peter? No, absolutely not. Was this the end of God trusting the Apostle Peter with ministry of the gospel? No, absolutely not. He's, he's one of the founding fathers. He's, he's a spiritual giant in our Christian faith, amen? Yes, God was still using him. God used this as an opportunity to grow him. And in fact, in the Gospel of Luke, just before Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times, Jesus tells Peter and the disciples this. He says, Simon, that was Peter's other name, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I, this is Christ talking, I have prayed for you that your faith will not fail. And when you have turned back, you will strengthen your brothers. You know how I read this? Jesus essentially says, Peter, you're going to sin. I know you're going to sin. I'm telling you, you are going to sin. But I'm praying for you. Because see, this sin that you're going to commit is a part of Satan trying to get faith out of you. It's a part of trying to ruin your faith or ruin your testimony for my name and for my glory. But I'm praying for you that your faith will hold on. And when you repent, turn back, when you repent, I want you to strengthen your fellow believers, your fellow disciples. I'm going to use you in spite of your sinfulness, Peter. If he's saying that to Peter, can't he be saying it to me too? Can't he be saying it to you? Listen, the problem is, is that we allow sin to define us. And that sin ends up stealing from us the joy and presence of God working on us, in us. Our past sin robs us from our future growth. But this doesn't need to be the case. It doesn't need to be the case. Our past sins do not define our present reality or our future opportunity. God does. Does he? Your sins don't need to define you. If God is working on you, in you, come running back to him and don't let it discourage you. God is not done with you. He is still working on you. Finally, not abiding in Jesus. Look at verses 9 through 11. Uh, three statements that he makes. Just Let me just, real quick. The first statement he makes in verse 9, he says, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. This is not gaining knowledge but uh, for the sake of having knowledge and wisdom, but it's knowledge and insight that causes love to grow. Love for others. When we allow God to grow our knowledge and our insight, we are able to love those that we would not able to, to love ordinarily. We're able to love beyond ourselves, and love abounds in us. The second thing he says, verse 10, that you may approve the things that are excellent. Listen, on my own, there's no way that I could tell what is sin and what is not sin. It is God working on me, in me, who points out to me, that's not of me, Brian, that is of me. The things that are excellent are the things of God. He says a little later in chapter 4, verse 8 and 9, uh, those things that are praiseworthy, excellent, noteworthy, and, and so on and so forth, noble, that pure, and, and all of these things. The things that are excellent, God gives us the ability to see and say, that is not of God. And as, as we grow, as God grows us in us, he gives us that ability. And then verse, tw uh, verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness. Let me just sum it up and say it like this. He's talking about spiritual fruits, such as love, joy, peace, patience, and so on. These are fruits growing in us. And these happen 
This happens because we are abiding in Christ Jesus. Remember, he says, anyone abides in me and he will do things, he will do great things, I will grow in him fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Let me ask you, are these fruits growing on you? Are these fruits growing in you? This is not a question that really we can answer. It's really a question perhaps you should turn to a loved one, a trusted loved one, and ask them to tell you the truth in love and say to them, listen, I'm still growing, God's still working on me, so be gentle, but what spiritual fruits am I missing? We start abiding in Christ, but see, when we don't abide in Christ, man, that stops the the, the work of God in us. We just settle. We just settle for where we are and what we are. These happen. This happens through God growing them in us, God growing us through being in us. And and let me tell you, there's only one way to abide in Jesus Christ, and it's to spend time in prayer and to spend time studying God's Word. There's a personal cost to doing that, but it is a cost well worth it. We must abide in Him personally. Listen, I know I've given you a lot to think about this morning, but I want to ask you this question. What is it that is keeping God from growing you? What is it that is keeping God from working in you, from doing his good work in you? Because you do have a part of this. And again, next week I want to talk a little more about, much more about our personal responsibility. But I'll leave you with these three questions. Are you abiding in him? Are you abiding in him? Only you can answer that question. Are you abiding in him? Have you allowed sin to become a discouragement to you? And you've just stopped dead in your tracks because you can't get past a certain sin in your past. You need to let go of that. Let it stop defining you. Okay? Final question is this. Do you remember a time when you surrendered to Jesus as Savior and Lord? Whatever your answer to those questions are, I pray that you would spend time talking to God and let Him be real with you and you be real with Him. And let the Holy Spirit move in your heart this morning. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank You for this day. We thank You for the Scripture and we thank You for Your Word in our lives. Father, I pray that you would use it to grow us and to change us. Lord, if there's any here this morning struggling with these questions, Father, I pray that uh, we could be a help to them. They would know that uh, these these deacons and myself and my wife were always available to answer questions. They just want to pray. Uh, Father, I pray you would just move in us and let us not be hindered from making the decisions that we need to make this morning. And it's in your name I pray this, Lord Jesus. Amen.